The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Wolf and Bull podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Daremore Media, the Wolf and Bull, or its affiliates. The Wolf and Bull podcast is not responsible and does not verify the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast is for expressive listening entertainment. Listener discretion is advised. podcast i am the wolf and i am here today with a few special guests one of them is a residual guest that is always here i'm he a residual guest the now? bull you've been relegated to i'm in the house guest. the bull's yeah. in the house i hope there's cowbells going yeah they are they are going i can I hear can. them you can't but i can't so it's, it's a cool little experience they're ringing it's, in my ears right personal. now yeah uh well thank you for tuning in just a quick reminder if you like our content you can find our content on instagram at the wolf and bull you can also find our content on youtube we release our audio episodes on thursdays and our video content comes out on fridays now just a quick reminder this is Sponsored this whole entire show episode everything is sponsored by Americano ammunition coffee serving American patriots the means to defend their freedom one caffeinated caliber at a time make sure to visit their website ammoandcoffee.com and grab yourself a bag of coffee beans or visit the shop in Queen Creek Arizona if you mention the wolf and bowl you get 25% off your entire order so we are pretty stoked about that I gotta say again I love that that saying defending what is this defending freedom one caffeinated caliber at a time well we're who doesn't like their caffeine who doesn't like calibers i mean (laughs) one or the other and you got both in one place yeah yeah coffee's phenomenal and obviously one of my favorite drinks is the desert eagle so i'm super stoked about that but we have a special episode in store for you today yes we do yes we do Uh, author of bravery and blinders and the sheriff's wife holding it all together behind the scenes in politics wife to sheriff mark lamb and mother and to a wonderful family welcome to the studio janelle lamb thank you thanks for having me yeah of course of course so how's it going you recently got back from hawaii right oh it was a much needed getaway we had planned this trip uh, to the big island my husband was born and raised there till he was 11 his older brothers were eighth grade and sophomore in high school when they moved away and had never been back so it was 39 years wow. in the making that we went back the six of us the his us his brothers and their wives and it was it was a pretty special pretty amazing trip now this is on the Hilo side right yeah uh yes they grew up in Hilo yep wow we stayed on the Kona side that's where the beaches and and that sort of stuff are and then we we just did the drive a couple times over to the Hilo side I've been to the Waikoloa a number of times Mm -hmm. and that's quite it we love Waikoloa yep that's where we stay yeah Yeah, we love it the, the dolphin events and all that kind of thing yeah I still have yet to have a memorable experience with a dolphin but that's oh. a, <laughs> but uh, uh, tour that's tour a, experience at Waikoloa. Uh, but yeah, no, that's uh, that's one thing that is still on my bucket list is to swim. It's a great place. Yeah, yeah, lots of sea turtles, lots of whales. Whales were really? wild out there. Yeah, it was yeah. great. Was I think we really saw whales neat. one time when we were in Maui, like once. Yeah, I think last time we went, we went out on an excursion, and there was I don't remember what kind of whale, but there was a couple of whales nearby, and it's mm-hmm. it's quite an event if you've never never had it happen. It's worthwhile, yeah, especially when everyone's you know down in the Mai Tais and <laughs> yeah I, I won't tell you how many I was already under. it was ac- yeah. after we were snorkeling so yeah. it was burgers and Mai Tai City. exactly yeah so yeah. well uh, I do have a particular question for you it is sure. it's kind of on topic but off topic you know Mark you know having a lot of time in Hawaii family there between uh where you and I 
both grew up, Duluth, Minnesota, That's and Hawaii. Right. Which is your favorite? Well, it would depend on what favorite, favorite place to exist, favorite place to live my daily life. You know, it's a loaded question. It could go a few ways. I mean, as much as I love Hawaii, I don't really see myself living there. Yeah. Um, Do the fact that I have a lot of family in the Duluth area, in Cloquet, Carlton, that's Mm. where my family is. I sure love visiting, you know, And, and that's just me. My husband obviously would love to visit Hawaii more. I would love to visit Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, just a lot of good memories for me, and a lot of close family there that I love. Both so. of those are so dramatically different. Dramatically different, polar right? opposites. And literally. of course, land of the thousand lakes. I'm a Michigan boy myself. Okay, so I same you know, same terrain. Grew up mm-hmm. on a little farm back yep. in Michigan, all that kind of thing, and the nostalgia of that, and I I miss it a lot in a lot of well, ways. It's just and then I remember so the shovels and the snow, and then I. Right. That part's not as beautiful to live in, but the summer times are sure great. Yeah. Yeah. They you really know, are. just spending the days on the lake and. Well, I don't think, uh, I don't think yeah. a lot of kids these days get that. Like I, uh, I got I don't that. think they know what it is. No, a lake. Well, yeah, I think they know. Well, what I know it's a lake. <laughs> well, the man-made lake versus yeah, the, yeah. you know, natural. But they don't, they don't get that same experience. Like when I was a kid, I was telling, mm-hmm. uh, talking with Beowulf, um, my wife for listeners and viewers. Um, and <laughs> her and I were just kind of reminiscing a little bit about our childhoods. Uh, like there's a time where I could just leave the house and be literal miles miles and miles away and parents wouldn't know except unless i were to call them from okay, a friend's okay, house okay you know. i'm way older than i was states you, away so i i remember there i mean i couldn't even get a phone to get a hold of my parents i would just <laughs> yeah. take off on a bike and that the wasn't even was a thing it. in yeah. the 70s i mean it was we and we lived rural mm. i mean those are small towns yes sir but we lived rurally away from the small towns mm. So there wasn't a neighbor. <laughs> it wasn't even like, go find the neighbor. It was like, you weren't making it to a neighbor because you're seven years old and your neighbor is four miles away. I mean, you're just not Fend making for it. yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's just play in the woods and, you know. Play in the woods, hope to not get eaten by anything yeah. in the yeah. woods. And, yeah. Winter, if you you're know. skating on the lake, hope not fall My dad <laughs> actually made me an igloo. Like what? he shoveled out, there was a pond behind our house. He made me an ice skating rink in our front yard at one point. Wow. And then at one point shoveled off a pond and made me an igloo so we could go change our skates from our ice skates to our snowshoes. Amazing. I mean, it was legit rural living. That's it was fun it's, stuff. That's about as hardcore as you get. Yeah. You know? My my snowsuit was homemade. <laughs> oh my, my mother gosh. made my snowsuit. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You kids are missing out. You yeah, didn't they experience are. that. You got all your TikToking now and your, your <laughs> oh, video gosh. gameology. We'll yeah, probably talk about all that stuff in a little bit, too. Yeah. You think I should jump on the long log? Totally. Yeah, probably. Let's, okay. let's do it. Over the last few years, America has been through some growing pains, and most of us, and likely a good amount of the world, have experienced those pains firsthand or by proxy. American society seems to be in a strange lull, with many experiencing high levels of apathy, frustration, and complacency. Traditional and organizational structures that were once considered universally important are now second-guessed, criticized, or forgotten. In some instances, these criticisms and speculations are merited. In order to grow and progress, society must move away from dysfunctional systems and ways of thinking, and especially harmful ideologies. The supposed systematic problems presented by our leaders are the obvious culprit for these issues. If one apple is rotten, then the whole bushel's gotta go, right? What if that's wrong? What if society as a whole is missing the point? Public Discourse, an online journal from the Witherspoon Institute, considers family to be the second pillar of a decent society. According to them, no other institution can top the family's ability to transmit what is pivotal, character formation, values, virtues, and enduring love to each generation. 
They pose the question, where is dignity learned, self-restraint modeled, and caring demonstrated, if not first, from our mothers and fathers? That's a good question, not only because it's true, but because dignity, self-restraint, and caring are crucial in establishing a healthy path in life. Healthy, of course, in this context, is something that can be worked on, honed, and learned. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. <laughs> as much as I can relate with J.R.R. Tolkien's infamous quote from The Fellowship of the Ring, it does serve to paint an accurate picture of what I think many of us feel when it comes to those within our family. So, how do we move forward? Our society has seemingly forgotten the importance of family, traditional values, and community. In so much then rather than putting an emphasis on the importance of parenting, they'd rather relegate that responsibility to the public school system. In this episode, we've decided to host Janelle Lamb, discuss her new book, Bravery and Blinders, and what it's like to raise a family in the political arena, and how the reintegration of traditional family values are needed in America's current culture. Fantastic. I need to... I really like that monologue. That was good. I need to stop drinking so much tea before I do monologues. Mm-hmm. I can feel like the you caffeine... You feel the energy surge there? Veins. Yeah. Well, yeah. caffeine or caliber, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not <laughs> always the best experience. I'm like jittery as, you know, <laughs> like, what's wrong with this dude? But yeah, it's a... Uh, Bravery and Blinders was a really good, in my opinion, a really good book um, when it comes to the topics that we're talking about today, just because it mm-hmm. dives into, you know, some of the problems that I think are reflected at large in a lot of ways. Um, primarily because there was a, a, a realistic nature to the way you write, which is something that I think is needed from not only, you know, a, a public figure perspective, but also from a writing perspective. It's, it's good when people are relatable and genuine. You know, you know? I think even a better term would be transparency. Yeah. I mean, and truly in, I mean, I've read a ton of stuff and, and you can, get all kinds of really neat self kind of help books and in historical things mm-hmm. on people and all kinds of, you know, perspectives. And usually people are putting on masks. Right. Yeah. And, and that's really part of our brand is being authentic. Yeah. And to be authentic is also scary. So you have to be brave because mm-hmm. when you're being authentic, you kind of put the good and the bad out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, you have to drop that mask. And so, it's scary, but it's also really freeing. And I got to say, I mean, as much as it sounds a little selfish, writing the way I do and the books that I've written and the topics I cover, it's a little bit selfish because it's a little bit, um, I don't know, cathartic or therapeutic, therapeutic bit, for yeah. me mm-hmm. to, to get it out on paper. And I mean, as much as some of the stories are hard because you have to relive it, mm-hmm. you know, you have to relive those emotions. And hopefully that comes out through my words and my phrases and the way I'm, cause I'm, I am being as authentic as possible. So, yeah. yeah. Well, for, for viewers and viewers and listeners, I definitely do think you should pick up a copy of the book. Um, I'm going to have them right here. Uh, Bravery and blinders and the sheriff's wife holding it all together behind the scenes in politics. Uh, Janelle, could you give our listeners and viewers just a brief description of your book? You know what it's about and uh, what you hope they can take away from it. Sure. So the sheriff's wife holding it all together behind the scenes in politics came from a place of, you know, when we were running for office, when my husband was running for sheriff, I had no barometer. I had no mentor. I had nobody to help me at all. I went into every situation completely blind. And it was when we decided to write books down the road, um, after we'd kind of gotten some distance on that experience, I said, you know, at first I was like, well, what would I, what would I write about? But I realized I need to write the book that I wished I had. Mm. 
And so that's where that came from and why I decided to write it because I thought, you know, this is going to help other people because I know for a fact that those other people who are going to be going through the same things and can relate to the same trials and good and good and bad um, that I'm going through. So I'm just going to write my story and hopefully it will resonate with some people. Um, Bravery and Blinders came from a place of, um, I just knew there was part two. And that almost needed a follow up because I would read then the sheriff's wife and I would think, oh, I've learned so much since then or I've grown so much since then. And just just kind of continuing on and sharing some of those situations. I went through new things that I that I felt like would help other people to share those. How many years between the two books? Mm, About two years. About writing. Yeah, Yeah. just about two years. Yeah. And I I think for sure for for me reading it, it resonates on several different levels because, you know, obviously your, your husband is a public figure mm-hmm. and in, for a lot of reasons that has good and bad attached to it exactly. and all the things that are there. And now not to that degree, perhaps, but an awful lot of people are going through the same thing yes. with their significant others. They, they've got one person in, this is typical in most relationships. One person is, is kind of leading for a while. Maybe it changes. Maybe there's a, a, a cohabitation of that leadership spot. And I think you talk about that a little bit in your book, as a matter of fact. But it, it does resonate. It, the first book in particular, it's like had very simple nuggets. And that's what's missing. Half the time we, we, we get online and we see all these different quotes and all these neat things that go on and it's so detailed and so, and it's not effective. Mm. Right. Right. Simple nuggets, simple truths are, are more what it's about for me. Yeah. And I think, you know, I personally think bravery and blinders really specifies that as well. Uh, there's a big emphasis on putting on blinders, hence the name, pun intended, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> uh, to focus on the most important things in life, like real conversations, connection and living. Can we discuss about how putting on blinders has played a role in your life, especially as your family has entered the political spotlight? Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's no way it, 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 there's so much in the world distracting us no matter what you're trying to do with your life, whether it's just go to school or get a new career or, you know, raise your family in any circumstance. Um, there's so much out there that's, you know, trying to get our attention. I mean, from advertisements and, you know, social media and our, and family members, honestly, sometimes family members can be the hardest ones to block out that have that negativity. I mean, it's kind of a sad example, but like, even when I told my, my mom, I'm said, I'm going to write a book. And she was like, huh, well, what would you write a book about? Like, what could you possibly have to say? You know, that kind of negativity. And she didn't intend it really to be negative. But at the same time, it's like, you because it is hard to put yourself out there. It's hard to, you know, say what you want to do and Mm -hmm. follow your dreams. And when you articulate that to somebody to have them say, huh, weird, I never thought you would do something like that. Or, you know, it's when you thought they would be going, yeah, do it. Yeah. 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 And you think, okay, well, that's not actually super supportive, but you know what? It doesn't matter because I'm the one that has to write it. These are Mm -hmm. my experiences. This is my perspective. This is what I feel called to do. So it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And I think if we didn't have those blinders on and be able to, you know, close off all that negativity, we wouldn't do half the stuff we do. And I think that can be relatable to anybody because we're all wanting to do cool stuff with our life and maybe don't have the courage until you block out that negative stuff. Block out the negative. And I think, as you said in your first book, sometimes you got to kind of determine when it's time to burn the bridge too. Right. I think I heard that story. Mm -hmm. Burn the Mm book. Yeah. I think I heard that story originally 
like some historical figure came to a land, burned all the boats. I don't remember the right, entire story, right. but I, I read that and I went, oh, some, sometimes you just go, can I leave that one boat? Just something to get me yeah. back off the shore. So there's a, actually a story about pioneers Yes, um, <clears throat> where um, Brigham Young, who at the time was the leader of the pioneers out in Utah, he actually was had Mark's fourth great grandpa mm. would bring settlers down to Arizona and to the Mexico border and down, down this way. And he would say, find the poorest families because we don't want them to be able to afford to come back. <laughs> We want them down there and essentially burn the boats, even though they're exactly. on land. But it's like once you're once they're down there, they trip. ain't coming back. There's a one way trip. They're going to be stuck there and they're going to be forced to make it work. And you got to do that. You sometimes have to force yourself to be like, there's no going back. Mm. You know, I'm not going to go back to that job I didn't like. or I'm not going to go back to that mm. ex, you know, boyfriend or whatever. You know, you know it's like I'm over decisions is is the hardest part. You know mm-hmm. what you have to do. And I, I think you you talk a lot about your, you know, ROI, right? Yes. And how to determine when to take those next steps. And that's yeah, timing is so important. I mean, you can, you can have the greatest, do the best thing at the wrong time, or you can do the worst thing at the, you know, the right time. It's, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So you've got to gauge that in your mind and your heart will tell you, you know, if you're, if you're a prayerful person, you can pray about it, but your, your gut knows sometimes it's scary though. When you get the answer you don't want to hear and it feels like something that's a calling like, hey, you need to quit your job and go back to school or, oh, hey, you need to, you know, have that other baby or you need to, you know, and you just think on paper it doesn't make sense, but I can't shake it. I have to do it. Yeah. And not everyone's going to understand you and that's okay. I don't think they should. You know, I it's not their job. It's not a requirement. It's not yeah. their life. It's it's your life and you have to do what's right for you. Yeah. Like when we started so. the Wolf and Bull. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I, that's the thing. People, yeah. I mean, there's a lot. And it's so easy to be negative to people. You know what yeah. I mean? It's so easy to just be the Debbie Downer in the room and just say, oh, really? You're going to do that? Mm, okay, whatever. Well, you know, you know. It, it's funny you say that because we, we have these, you know, off-air discussions all the time about directions of our discussions and things. And, and, they take some crazy directions sometimes. I will admit, and a lot of times that's my fault because I get argumentative. And you're just and rogue. You go I'm rogue. rogue. Yeah, I'm the rogue bull in the china shop, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, the one thing that I do love though is the positive effect you can have. It's a, it's the whole pebble in the pond thing. Yeah. And you know, when I when I read both your books, I thought, you know, that's kind of the way I view these things. You know, not everything resonates with me. It's not my life. It's your stuff that you're going through, et cetera, different circumstances. But if you can drop that pebble in the pond and you can create some ripples that affect others around you in a positive manner, mm-hmm. you have no idea what that can turn into. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, there's another quote from your book that I think we should talk about that I actually really like because it oh. brings me back to when I was a, yeah, an athlete, but uh, it really makes a lot of sense. Uh, winners focus on winning and losers focus on losers or uh, winners. Yeah. <laughs> Both probably. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about how that's helped you and your family when ignoring the political and social noise? So we actually say that exact phrase to ourselves to, to, our, to remind each other. Mm-hmm. Mark and I, we say that to each other, we remind each other. Like if something happens... And, you know, we're, we're, you know, having to deal with a situation and we just, we just sum it up and it just brings us right back to center. Yeah. It's like winners focus on winning, losers focus on winners. 
and we we focus on what we need to do and what we're supposed to do. And, and I mean, I'm not saying it's always easy, mm-hmm. but you know, it takes those discussions and us having each other's back and say, Hey, don't forget, mm-hmm. you know, what are we focused on here? What's important here? And, and that I mean, it's been critical to us I, that I love that saying so much. And I love the picture that goes along with it too. Yeah. And, yeah. I can just imagine Tom the Brady. Swimmer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let's imagine Tom exactly. Brady with all his rings. That's all I imagine. Yep. That's good. That's good. Yep. Um, now there's a particular poem that I would like to read. Uh, yes. um, Napoleon, if I remember. Right. Yes. I bargained with life for a penny and life would pay no more. However, I begged that evening when I counted my scanty store for life is just a just employer. He gives you what you ask, but once you have set the wages, why you must bear the task. I worked for a menial's hire only to learn dismayed that any wage I had asked of life, life would have willingly paid. You mentioned this poem from Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich in your book. Can we talk about how this poem has impacted you and affected your outlook? Yes, actually, I love it that you uh, read that. I love it. I have it memorized. I think of it all the time. Um, I think we are we limit ourselves is really what that poem is talking about. It's like our ourself is our worst critic our worst limiter and i think if we would ask for more from life and believe we're deserving of more from life we would get more that and that's all it takes it doesn't take someone giving us permission or feeling we have the skills or whatever you can get the skills it's believing you can get the skills it's thinking bigger i think one huge disservice that we do ourselves all the time is we don't think big enough and so that has really and like why I always um, go back to if your goals aren't scaring you, they're not big enough. Yeah. If you don't feel like that little bit of nervous, like, oh, man, that's a big deal. Not everyone's going to like it. You know, then it's not big enough. You know, isn't it amazing how many people you and I'm sure you know them all around you in your life that you from the outside will watch things that they do, not just what they say, because people say almost anything. It's mm-hmm. what you do that counts. Right. But they'll do all these things, and then then you'll have a in depth conversation with them, and they don't believe they're actually worthy of the things they've done. Or right. it, it's I'm, I'm not articulating this correctly, but it always surprises me. No, I know what you're saying. It's like they people just don't believe in themselves, and I mean it's hard to believe <clears> in yourself. Like you have to, and it almost takes it's almost like a muscle. You have to exercise that. Like you have to reach bigger and believe bigger, and then take the credit for that. It's like you're you're going to see yourself. You almost have to prove to yourself what you can do. You know what I mean? You have to believe in yourself and then do it. And that proves to yourself, take that. Right. Take that kudos to yourself and then step up again. Like just because you did something good doesn't mean you can't do more good. Yeah. You guys think the the atmosphere of today's society, specifically with the young adults, maybe suffers in that area more so than it did when you guys were around that age? Well, well, I'm considerably older than Janelle, but I, I will tell you that the amount of information being pushed, not just pulled in by me reading something, but being pushed at you on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It's one thing when I'm driving from my rural town, because I was on rural route one, box 373-13. Oh my gosh, I still remember it. You know, <clears throat> driving seven miles into the nearest town and seeing a couple of billboards and maybe a couple of 
things on the radio you listen to. Were you guys were you guys fully <laughs> functioned off of, <laughs> was it whale oil that powered most of Yeah, I, I remember the light bulb when it was invented, yes. Did they have TV when you were a kid? <laughs> well, I guess the, the I guess the reason I asked that is because it seems like America, at least from how I was taught. Now, obviously there's probably bias there from my teachers, but how I was taught is that it was it came about by taking risks and it seems like maybe the risks aren't changed, but the perception of how big those risks are has changed. There, there's always a risk reward for all, everything we do. We calculate daily what the risks are. I mean, I, I know in, in your book, as a matter of fact, you were talking about how, how the sheriff used to be in the pigeon elimination business or whatever. Yep. Clean up. Yep. I have a, my house is two stories. It's got solar panels all over. We have somebody come out and do that. It's what he probably used to do yep. at one time. Yep. And in a lot of ways, that was far riskier than some of the stuff he does today. Oh, for sure. You know? I hated it. <laughs> so, you, and I'm just, I'm just saying that because people automatically think of a police officer as being this, this huge, and it is obviously a risky thing that they do on a daily basis or they could put themselves at risk. But we all weigh to different degrees what our tolerance is for everything we do. Mm. And it seems to me, and, you know, I, I would love to hear your perspective on this, but the amount of information coming out, especially the younger generation, puts everybody at pause that everything's mm-hmm. to be feared. Mm-hmm. Everything's to be feared. And that's, that's troubling for me because I didn't want my kids to grow up fearing everything. Yeah. Well, having young adults, so I, I, I love it that I've kind of gone from, I used to be the mom with like the little tiny kids. Five kids in six and a half years is what we had. So I was the mother hen with all the little ducklings or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we had the middle school ages and then we had the teenagers and now we're into the twenties. Mm-hmm. Now they're almost all in their twenties. So I, I totally get what you're asking. And I, I appreciate that. It's hard because I feel like what young adults are seeing nowadays as far as what determines success is very skewed. I think what's being portrayed as successful, quote unquote successful, is you drive a Lamborghini, you have a big house, you have, you know, Gucci shoes and a Gucci bell. And like, it's very materialistic as far as what the definition of success is. And what we're trying to, what we're trying to teach our kids is doing, making a good footprint on this earth, whether it's with, you know, raising a good family or being the best you know, at your job or whatever it is, or just being happy is really the measure of success because you can have all that crap and be completely unhappy. And being a happy person is really, I mean, I feel like in this day and age, if you can be a happy person, like happy every day and be glad to wake up and be glad to go do what you do for a living and to be, you know, grateful for the family you have, that is, that's rare, first of all. And the measure of success, to me, that's the measure of success, is being a happy, cheerful, positive person. Because in this world, nowadays in this atmosphere, I mean, no thanks to social media or any of that stuff. I mean, how many people can really say that they're truly happy? Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of the difference between wealth and money. Yeah, totally. Wealth can be a whole lot of different things, including not a whole lot of money. Right. It depends on your perspective on life. Well, I think a lot of the perspectives <clears throat> that we get from social media as a, I mean, I'm going to be 31 in a month and a half, but you know, as a younger individual, I see a lot of that positivity normally echoes kind of emptily, if that yeah. makes sense, just because yeah. it, I don't think it really comes from a, a solid place. I think it really comes from, you know, the desire to try and get people, you know, to, to 
I don't know, not see the world how you want them to well, see it type of thing. You know, it's, isn't it's it kind of a reflection, deceptive. though? Sometimes, and, and, yeah. And it, this goes back to your premise in your monologue, because the more we derivate from kind of the core things that are important to the upbringing of our, you know, the next generation, whether it's our own family or others, the more we derivate from that, the more people have to rely entirely on societal reflections, secular in particular. And I, I, you know, I don't know where I'm going that with that entirely, but I, I, I think society needs structures. Yes. Long-term things that have proven themselves. Family being the core to that. I think your statistics, and maybe getting ahead of you on this, but you had a statistic on where the family ranks in terms of, of, uh, Number two, it's number two, right? yeah, number two, mm-hmm. in, in whatever studies are being done. According to public discourse, they keep track of the pillars in society that they consider to be important from the Witherspoon Institute. It's mm-hmm. a pretty interesting read. There's a whole lot of information. Well, I'm there. sure there is, but um, well, I, I guess because I didn't, you know, Janelle, I didn't come from a very good background. Like so, mm-hmm. love my mom to death. Uh, not so much my dad. Um, but uh, love my mom. She did a wonderful job with what she had, and you know, without her, I wouldn't be the individual that I am today. And I think that you know, in reading your book, I really connected with your transparency when it came to a particular chapter, which I particularly enjoyed, called forging. In it, you discuss your youth and some of the family difficulties you experienced as a child, and how those trials forged you into the person that you are today. And when it comes to the American family there seems to be a lot of problems that they're suffering uh, through when it comes to that type of forging. I don't really see personally, and this could just be biased, but I don't really see that development happening in the same way, if that makes sense. So these problems, in my opinion, aren't exactly new, but they seem because of social Mm -hmm. media Mm -hmm. larger than they were before. As someone who's experienced working through trial, what would you say to those who feel hopeless when it comes to their family life? Well, I feel like it, it, One of the one of the universal laws I feel like is like the facts of life or whatever you're going to say. Everything that's great can also be terrible. Mm-hmm. Like there's an even distribution of great and terrible. And families are a perfect example of that because families can be your greatest thing and they can be your worst thing. In my experience with challenges, if you have a challenging family situation, either with a person or with, you know, your upbringing or whatever it is. There's two ways you can handle it. You can either do the victim mentality, which I think is being perpetrated grossly on social media and different things that we see. Everyone's like getting this kind of almost like they're giving permission or like it's a good thing to be the victim. Or you can take that same situation and say, what can I personally learn from this? It doesn't matter what dad or grandpa or mom or whoever that harmed me or hurt me or made my life harder did. How am, what am I going to do with that upbringing? What am I going to do with that situation? How can I make this make me a better person instead of just like, well, this is why I can't hold a job because my dad was blah, blah, blah. Or this is why I can't find success in life because I can't get past these hurts. We've all been through the hurts. We've all had rough times and not, not everybody, but at some point you're going to have trials. It's going to happen. Like that's what this life is about. So it's basically deciding within yourself, am I going to use that to good or am I going to use that to just play the victim card? And it's, and it's a hard ask of yourself. Like you have to dig deep because there's some desperately hurting people out there. And, but that's where you find the strength to overcome. And that's where you, you go get therapy or you, you know, you have to take a deep dive into your own brain and your own 
feelings and decide, make that decision and then go only upward from there. You know, at the core of what you said there is that it's, it's always a choice. It's a choice. I know that sounds simplistic and people may be listening to this going, yeah, easy for you to say I have this or this, but you're right. And in everybody's baggage, if you will, yes, is just as important to themselves as somebody else's baggage. Right. Yeah. You can't compare this happened to me. So I have it worse than you. Like it's all perspective. mm -hmm. Like some people who you would maybe on the outside be like, ah, that wasn't that big of a deal. Why are you so paralyzed by this? Mm -hmm. Where other people who've come from horribly abusive, tragic situations and they're fine. Mm -hmm. So that just Mm -hmm. illustrates perfectly right there that it's about what you do with that information. Right. It's always about here forward. Yep. Right. Yep. That's good. Uh, In chapter eight of Bravery and Blinders, you utilize a biblical message to emphasize the importance of staying on the correct path. When it comes to families and individuals who feel as if they've wandered into the quote unquote fog of life, what advice can you give them that's been helpful for you to find their correct path again? Really, to me, what it boils down to is every single person needs to feel a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. That's where I feel like we're really going off the rails as people. Um, it used to be, and this is what I kind of talk about in the book. And I think it's in that chapter is like, it used to be most people understood that they were a child of God where no matter what your circumstances, if you're born in Indonesia or in, you know, Southern California or wherever you're a child of God and that you could cling to that. Well, that has been quickly eroded over the last, what, say 80 years or so pretty heavily. That narrative has been washed away as much as possible by society and, you know, people who think maybe they're doing a good thing by getting rid of that, but it leaves people. And then, then the next level down would be like your family. It's like, okay, I'm a child of God. Okay. Well say I don't believe in God anymore, but I'm a family member. I'm a member of the Johnson family. We, as Johnson's, we do this, we do that. We're this kind of people. We're honest, we're hardworking, we're this. Well, now when you take start dismantling the family unit that's been dismantled, then you're leaving a whole huge cross section of people who now don't have God, don't have family. So now you have people who are clamoring for something because there is an innate, very deep need to belong to something. So now you water that down a couple more layers and you've got 13 year olds who think they're cats and need a litter box at school. And you've got, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it gets, and because that's the thing that they're like, Oh, I could be a cat and I could be cool with, cause the cat kids in my eighth grade class seem cool and everyone thinks they're cool. So I'm going to do that because they don't have those other foundational things to ground them. Mm-hmm. So that's where the erosion, I believe, we took God out, then we kind of dismantled the family side, and now it's just kind of a free-for-all. So whatever passing thing is, that's what's taken over, and that's what is scary to me. If you want a sense of belonging, you have to figure out what to belong to. And yes. if you don't even know anymore to belong to this or this, yes. as you've mentioned, you cling to almost anything. Well, it's, <clears throat> it's the dissolution of what I see to be as traditional ideological beliefs. Now, I wouldn't profess to be the most religious person in the world, but I did grow up in the church. And one thing I can say is that this whole, because I would say a lot of American society is maybe suffering from like pessimism, but they confuse Mm -hmm. it with nihilism, if that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So obviously there's been instances that are worthy of criticism within those institutions. No one's saying there hasn't been. But when it comes to the nihilistic nature of, well, I'm not getting what I need from my home, so now I need to be a cat. 
<laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah. it, what 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 concerns me is how does that progress as time goes on? Because right. how does someone like that operate as an adult? How can they? F- and I'm not saying they can't. Well, I think I'm I just, think the problem is is we're you know throwing in an entire segment or entire group into into the into the bad side of the column because of things that have happened either historically or individually Mm -hmm. look the world is full of hypocrites i don't care Mm -hmm. what organization you belong to whether it's a church or your your family has them larger social groups cities whatever you come up with there's always going to be something that you can use to justify your slanted view on that larger organization as a whole yes and that's why i think it's so important to remember like you're a child of god that doesn't matter if you're a religious person a devout catholic if you're just a person who believes if you yeah for example i mean just take like the human eye if you take the human eye and you look at all the parts that work in the human eye and all the parts that there are and how it how it twists upside down and goes to your brain and processes and comes back out just that alone a human eye i do not understand how you can try to convince yourself that somebody didn't create that mm. that somebody did not create that that did not come from an amoeba you know and not i'm not not even trying to get religious about it like mm-hmm. that is that to me just says how can you not well i think it's i think and my my perspective on that because i agree with you my perspective on that is also it's a it creates an innate respect for other people around you so i've always seen it like i've had discussions with people of different theologies that i agree with and i don't agree with but i've always understood that that person is perceiving the situation just like i'm perceiving the situation yes now we might have different positions but it doesn't mean that that person's wrong or doesn't mean that that person is less than me and i think with this permeation of I guess the term uh, apathy or nihilistic mm-hmm. theology, because the strange thing about nihilism is it's a paradox, belief in nothing. So you believe well, in nothing. I, um, I think if you believe in nothing, you're actually believing still yourself as the God. You know? Yeah. That's, the, that's yeah. a bad yeah. way to put it. Yeah. But I but, think that a lot of that stems from this real distinct, I don't want to say perversion, because that's a really harsh word, but I guess I'll say perversion, of, <laughs> of just each other when it comes to people that are around you, if that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah. Um, Cause I've, I've never had this instance of thinking that the person across from me doesn't deserve the same respect or support that I would like to have. So I, I don't know. I just see this. I, I think, I think that you can, I mean, you and I have discussions on everything under the sun and we, up until up there's a little narrow the segment in the middle where we agree <laughs> on this. Yeah. The rest of it, we have different opinions Yeah, and, you know, I believe I'm right. You believe you're right. And the whole idea of these conversations in general is to kind of come to a communion that we can all get along properly. Yeah. Right? Well, it really that's, comes that's, down to, do you, can you find in your heart to not even just to love people, but to realize that everybody are people, mm. you know what I mean? They have their own situations and that's one thing that we realized i mean i know you guys probably know we had this horrible tragedy in our family back in december and it made me realize that so many people are walking around in pain like in physical pain like the people that you're standing in line to check out at qt to get a monster like the person behind you in line could be just going through the worst thing ever i think giving people grace and not trying to push your beliefs on them but just appreciating everyone 
as a created being mm. that has feelings and emotions and desires and loves and hates. Mm-hmm. Like just if we if we could just get back to that, that would be amazing. And I know then, you know, there's a lot of evil people out there. There is a lot of evil people out there, but I think the majority of people are just trying to freaking make it through the day. Mm-hmm. Just make it through the day. And if there's a baseline that says we can all agree that we've all got our yes, and we stuff. are in this all together, having a human experience. I don't care if you're a Buddhist or you're whatever you are, Christian, atheist, whatever. We're all still here on this earth, having a human experience. How you think we got here, whatever. But for me, knowing that I'm a child of God and believing that everyone is a child of God here on earth, that to me helps me love people around me and frankly the community the family the church the stuff you're talking about in my opinion is the foremost i shouldn't say one or the other the 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 community of one of those or all of them together is what can get you through the kind of things you and we and all of us have had to go through because without it you're hanging out in the wind well not only that but i've seen this time and time again where it's people that you, all you have to do is serve people and you will love them. And if you're having a hard time finding some, anything, some small thing to do to serve anybody is going to help you and not to do it for selfish reasons, but it will help you to, I don't know, take some stuff to Goodwill even if that's all you can do. I mean, We're low level stuff. We're not talking. You don't have to go organize a food drive. You can, (laughs) you can just drop off some cans. You can just write a note to a friend. It doesn't have to cost you money. It doesn't have to cost you a lot of time. Just getting out of your own head and looking around and even just trying to think, what are the needs of some people around me? Open your eyes, even to try to look for those things are going to change your perspective on the people around you. It's going to change your perspective on the lady that's, you know, behind you in line at QT, get a monster. You know, it's it's just opening up your mindset to how can I help somebody around me? It, it'll change everything. And it starts with giving them grace. I yep. think you said that a totally. moment ago. And, yep. I, you, you know, in your in your second book, the Blinders book here, you had, you in an earlier chapter, you talked a little bit about your early childhood and, you know, being a latchkey kid with your dad and your mom had gone away and all that kind of stuff. And then you circled back around to what was an incredibly poignant chapter about your mother. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to tell you, you know, I've read a lot of different stuff and I'd never met you before today. And it, it was v- incredibly transparent, incredibly mm-hmm. effective. And that's what's that's missing, that communication between people. I don't care if it's in a book or like this or however it is. Those are those are effective things to listen to, and I know I know just for both of us it resonated for sure. Well, that was the I had mentioned prior to recording. Well, I think I said it in the recording, maybe either or no. that that I, I teared up. That got me uh, in my <laughs> life right now. I actually have a similar situation with my grandma. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, it's listening to. And I don't know if you you would like to or not, but for viewers Absolutely. and listeners, if you want to talk about that and work through that experience. Um, and maybe provide some advice for people who may be going through something similar and how they could potentially get through it. So like you had mentioned, you know, I didn't always have a great relationship with my mom. You know, she left um, for her own, what she felt were great reasons um, when I was nine and we lived with my dad 
My dad wanted to take care of it. It was me and my younger brothers. So we were nine, five, and three. So very, very young. And um, it was hard till I was probably about maybe having kids. I did have a little period where my children were the ages we were when my parents split Mm -hmm. and seeing what a child that age needed on a day-to-day basis from a mom. That was hard for me. That was really hard for me. Um, But I, I do understand a little bit why she did what she did as well. I could see, I could really see both sides. And so I just said, you know what? I, there's nothing that I can feel right now that's going to change the past. So I decided I'm going to use this as a building block. What can I do better? What can I do different as a mother of these kids, these ages and just do better. That's all I can do. That's the only thing I can do. Cause I can't change anything that's been done. And, um, I made a conscious decision to heal the relationship with my mom. She always wanted to be a part of our lives. Um, when she got a little bit older, I think it became easier for her to come back and want to be a grandma and want to be part of our, you know, be my mom and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm very grateful now that she's passed away. I'm very, very grateful that we healed that relationship and that I was able to be with her when she passed away and that I was one of the first people she called, you know, when it was time to go and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was just, it was hard. It was very hard. I had gotten a call. I was going to be there in two days in Montana where she lived. Um, cause I knew it was, I just knew it was not going well. Um, she had pancreatic cancer and, um, I, I was devastated at the thought that I wasn't going to make it first. And then once I realized I was going to make it, it was just, it's just so funny how, something so tragic happens and like nothing else matters. Like nothing else mattered. All that mattered was me getting to her bedside. That was it. That's all I could even think about. And I'm so grateful that I was able to spend that last weekend with her in her home, which I'll admit I had never been to her house. She lived in Montana. I live in Arizona and she always would come to Arizona. She loved the sunny weather. She was like, don't come here. I'll come there. Um, and her summers were so busy with um, trail rides and different things they were doing that it really was never really time. I was raising a young family and it just was easier for her to come to Arizona. So I never went to Montana. So I regret that um, I had never been to her home um, until she was passing away. But um, it was it was overall strange to say a good experience. It was a good experience to be with her and to be in that last few hours and few days with her um, and to hear her talk to everybody on the phone and get to say her goodbyes and hear her say things like, I'm okay with where I'm at. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to start my next phase. I don't know what it is, but I'm ready for it. Whatever it is, I'm done here. I'm not doing this pain anymore. Mm -hmm. And so all of that, as sad as it was, was so comforting. And then just to be able to be with her just be present and be physically with her was just so wonderful. And so I, my encouragement to anybody is put your pride aside, heal those relationships because it is worth it. It is, it is not, I can't imagine how I would feel if I had just been like, ah, whatever, I don't care. Um, my brothers were not in the same place I was, but they weren't and they're still not. And that's their thing. And they never will be. And it's, I don't worry about it because I know where I was at with her. 
and I know what her and Iyer's relationship was. And so it was good. It was a good thing. Yeah, and that's a situation you wouldn't have even been able to be involved with if you hadn't given her the grace to mend those fences. That's right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to do it. And I'm grateful that she wanted to do it mm-hmm. because she was a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. And I have, a, I have a ton of her same good and bad qualities. Um, not to say I don't miss her like yeah. really a lot, especially during the last few months, um, losing my son and mm-hmm. granddaughter and his fiance. She would have been a huge asset to me. She would have been a great help to me. Um, and then just coming straight off of her loss and then losing them has been um, extra hard. Although I will say going through that with my mother, I learned so much about myself and about grief. It actually helped me. It prepared me for the next catastrophe. <laughs> Fortunately, think, unfortunately, I don't know. I think it was in good your yet. first book toward the end that you were, I, I don't remember how you phrased it, but you basically said there's it you're gonna have some ugly things happen to you. You're yeah. just going to. Especially when there's been some real good things. Yeah. You don't want to anticipate that. You don't want to Yeah, you can't live in fear, but no, at the same time you, you gotta be aware that they're coming. They are. And it and, doesn't it's what's sad and this is what I struggle with right now, is it doesn't matter how hard stuff is, you're gonna get through it, but there's more coming your way. Yeah. Like it's not a one and done. Like oh good, I had my life's trial. Like that's not a thing. <laughs> no, there wouldn't it, wouldn't be nice. Wouldn't it be nice? It's done, like oop, met know? my quota. <laughs> boop, done. Yeah, you're absolutely you're right. You never yeah, heard. no, you did it. And there's there's yeah. a reason we say it at church. You endure to the end. Unfortunately, the end is like the well, end. Hold it. Yeah. One of your chapters said there is no finish. Right? <laughs> there's and, no finish line. Exactly. You know. So and I. I understand. I, I mean, I, I don't agree. even believe, and not to get religious again, but I don't even believe that the end of this life is your finish line. I think things get different mm-hmm. after you pass through this life, but there, even this, the our death here on this earth is not a finish line. There's life after this. I, yeah. That I am sure of. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's good to have that perspective. I mean, I think that for me, reading that chapter was, it's, there's some things there's some decisions that i need to make uh in yeah. short order uh, yeah specifically depending on scenario with my well, grandma yeah. love her to death i was gonna say but, you uh, know my wife and i are just waiting for you guys to say hey by the way we're you know not that i just said that out loud is this what you're oh, talking children about? i was talking about my grandma well, I, I, guess, you're yeah. Yeah. I mean, two scenarios you wanted to give her a family yeah this year too uh for all listeners viewers, <laughs> that's awesome uh, but let's jump into traditional American values. Let's do it. <laughs> so as mentioned in the monologue, America has been through uh, some, working through some growing pains. It seems as if the sense of value of country and of our fellow countrymen and women and of our freedoms has been lost in complacency. Americans value individual freedom and self-reliance. We value equality of opportunity and competition. We value hard work and the quality of life that may come with that. We value the freedom of speech, religion, and the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Over the last few years, it seems as if some of these values have come under fire, not only from outside of our country, but from within. I don't know about you, Janelle, but both the Bull and I have heard multiple times that the system is failing from politicians, activists, and especially our fellow citizens. What's your take on that, and what can we do to instill a positive outlook for our families going forward? I really feel like, to use an example, I feel like our rights, the rights, your rights, don't supersede my rights. Mm. 
But if I want to do this and I feel like it's my right to do that, but you don't like it or infringes on your rights if I'm doing that thing, that's where you get into the muddy water. So for instance, smoking in a restaurant or, you know, in a public place, Mm -hmm. I feel if someone feels like, Hey, it's my right to smoke wherever I want. This is America. It's free country. But me as a person with asthma doesn't want to sit next to you if you're smoking. You know what I'm saying? So it's like this very, it's a very gray area. And I think trying to navigate that is where we're starting to stumble Mm -hmm. because the people who feel like, well, it's my right to change my gender, but yet actually I want you to pay for it with your tax dollars, you know, like that kind of stuff. Like, and these are not like small issues. Like this is a big deal. It's not just like, Oh, little Susie got a bad grade on her test. Like these are big problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think navigating that, is where our challenge is going to be going forward as a society. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing I can control is what I can control. Mm -hmm. And that I think when we break it back down, you know, cause you can expand it out, you know, the, you know, the, with the rights, but you, you bring it back down. I can only control what I can control. So what's within my purview, myself, my work output, my attitude, um, and how I raise my kids. Can I control what my kids do with how I raise them? No, because no. <laughs> they're their own person and they have their own rights. But I can control what I, how I raise my family. Mm-hmm. You know, what values I instill in them, what they choose to do with all that information is up to them once they become independent. But so that's where I think we can, we can build it out and then we can break it back down. And if each one of us would just take the responsibility for ourselves, first of all, which that's sometimes the hardest one to do. Yeah. And then do what we can good with the people in our sphere. Mm-hmm. Then I think if everyone would do the right thing, we would be in a much better place. But yeah, people course, can't even control themselves. Even, <laughs> even before you're, before they're 18, you think you can dictate to them and mm. it doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't well, work does that it? way. Well, you, you know, it's, it's funny because we were talking a little bit about these freedoms and controls and the, the, the smoking is a great example, but the challenge I have with a lot of things that occur today is not that people want or don't want to do certain things as individuals. I may disagree with them and argue with them about those things, but I can't judge, right? I, I guess we all do to a degree, but it's not, my, it's not my purview to do that. What I have difficulty with is when these, these uh, governmental agencies in particular, I don't care if we're talking about local or national, start mandating right. what we have to do to take those freedoms and cut them back in a variety of ways. It's, it's, I always think about it this way. We, we talk about taxation in this country. You know, we're not, we're taxed less than other countries. No, we're not. No, we're not. They just call it different things. Yeah. Everything is taxed multiple times until mm-hmm. you're dead after you're dead. Right. So, you know, anybody that argues different than that needs to kind of look up some of that. Those stuff. are two guarantees in life, death and taxes. Is that yeah. what it was out yeah. of this? Exactly. <laughs> they happen simultaneously in this country. Mm-hmm. Well, so. Janelle, you've brought up uh, some of the values um, that your family holds dear. You know, I'd love to talk about, you know, how those values over the years have strengthened and which ones that you've found to be the most impactful, not only upon yourself, but around on those around you. Well, Luckily for me, my kids have all stayed in line with the way we've taught them. Not at all times, but as a general rule, they are all, you know, hardworking, God-fearing, 
you know, trying to be the best people possible. They're great parents, which makes me super happy. Um, I can't even tell you how many families I run into, I come across in our, you know, travels or whatever, who are in real turmoil because they have family members, kids who have, you know, gone off the rails, they went to college and now they're, you know, whatever. And it's, it's causing some real sadness for people thinking I raised you different. Our kids for the most part are sticking to pretty closely to what we raise them. Um, which makes me thrilled. Actually, Mm -hmm. I feel very, very grateful for that. Um, but I think kind of back to what I was saying, you're a child of God, you're hardworking people. We as lambs, we work hard. We're the first ones there. We're the last ones to leave, you know, be the most valuable employee at your job. If you're working a job, or if you want to go do your own thing and be you know, start your own business. We're a hundred percent in favor of helping you do that as much as we can. So the, the work ethic, the work ethic and the kindness and the service, that's kind of our family goal set basically. And so I think really raising kids and putting your family together with that, whatever it is that you want to focus on as a family that will give them a foundation. So one interesting story. So my son, my son Cooper, who passed away, he had gotten into drugs, um, started when he was about 15 ish, kind of going off doing whatever he wanted to do basically. And, um, found out the hard way that that wasn't the best way. And so when he decided that he was going to change his life and kind of get back to get, you know, get back on track and become a functioning member of society and not some druggy random kid, um, I was grateful for that, but at the same time, I, I did get a chance to ask him, I said, what could I have done better as a parent? Because you know how you do as a parent, you beat yourself up. If, they're, if your kid's making the wrong choices, you automatically 100% assume, what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong? What didn't I do? Did I do too much of this? Not enough of that. Should we have prayed more? Should we have, you know, whatever. Um, and so I'm thinking he's probably going to, I'm going to get my answer now. You know, I hear I have this kid who went wrong, is coming back, and now I have him captive audience in my car, I can ask. And he's got a list for and you. And he's going <laughs> to give me a list, and then I'm going to just be like, okay, and now I can, you know, because people ask me all the time, how can I do better, you know, this and that. And he said, yeah, there was nothing you could have done, mom. Their kids are going to do what they want to do. And I thought, dang it, you're not answering how I want you to answer. I wanted you to tell me something. But he said, but I can say what you and dad did was you gave me a foundation of who I was and what I wanted, to, what I needed to do to be a good person. And when I was ready to come back, I had something to build off of. And I thought, okay, well, for what that's worth, that's actually pretty valuable. I will give you that. That was actually pretty valuable. So, because it's hard. I mean, parenting is literally the hardest thing you'll ever do. And it's not like it gets easier ever. I'm finding I'm <laughs> everyone has this idea that their kid turns 18 and then they're like, suddenly you all the off into the world, all the fear and worry <laughs> washes away. It's like, oh no, times 10. So, um, so yeah, that's what we did was we basically just had a core set of values that we just instilled in our kids that, and we, and we had to do that by example though. Yeah. Like we couldn't just say, well, we always tell the truth and then we just lie about stuff or we couldn't say, well, we're hard workers, but then we never go do any hard work anywhere. Like it doesn't kids see through that a mile away. You've got to not only do that, but you have to actually physically drag your children to go do hard work. And you have to say, Oh no, no, we're going to get there early. And actually you're staying late. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, you have to force them to do it so that they get it. 
And then they're like, oh, you know, I think okay. what you gave Cooper was a, a, a place to lean back into when he needed yes. it. Right. To the, yeah. And not everyone was a fan of that. I, yeah. I can um, imagine. there was people close to me, my parents, other people who did not feel like we were doing the right thing. Mm. Like, how can you let this addict back in your house? And I'm like, you get the blinders go on. It doesn't matter what you think. Mm-hmm. This is what's right for me and my kid. Yeah. And it was a struggle. I bet. It was hard to let him back. Honestly, mm-hmm. I didn't want to let him back. I would have loved to just kick him out on the curb. But that wasn't the right thing to do. Yeah. In my heart, I knew it wasn't the right thing to do. That goes back to what you said at the very beginning of this. It's your gut. It's your heart. Yeah. It's, it's what you know you're going to have to do even when you don't want to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, when I when I started having kids, I remember thinking to my wife, I, I probably told her out loud, I go, Oh man, am I going to get payback for everything I did? Yeah, as a kid, right? Everything you I did. You were wrong. a hooligan, my friend. I was a very hooligan. Stealth hooligan. mom and dad do not listen to anything I'm saying right now, please. Mm. I was I was pretty stealth at all of it. You were worse. My than mom. Well, you know what's crazy though? You know what? And this is one thing. And my husband and I have mentioned this to each other multiple times. So there's been certain periods of time where we felt like, man, our kids are off the rails or we're just so upset at what they're doing or whatever. He was a great kid. And I actually was a pretty great kid. Like even looking back, like we didn't pull shenanigans. We had good friends. He, Mark, Mark's mom and dad lived in Panama, South America, his junior and senior year of high school. That kid went to school every single day. He had the sick day, like two or three days of the entire last two years of high school. <laughs> like who does that? Like he it was such a straight arrow, like such a straight arrow. Like he's just a naturally obedient person, not a conforming person, but an obedient to what he knows well, is right. I was right going to say that's person. great when you say honey do, right? Yeah, no, I'm not, like I said, no, not conforming. Totally no, 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 no. Um, but what he knew was right was to go to school, finish high school, he didn't have time. He's like my youngest son. I don't have time to mess around with getting in trouble. Yeah. I don't have time for it. So I'm not going to do it. Um, that was a personal decision. And that came from his core. I really was a really good kid. Yeah. I really was. I mean, well, I you had to be school, You're the oldest of three, right? I, I was actually the end of being the oldest of seven. Oldest of seven. A his, her mixed oh, yeah, situation. Yeah. My dad got remarried and they Pretty had kids and yeah. So I was little mommy. I'm still mini mom <laughs> to my siblings who are now, you know, in their thirties. Right. But, um, yeah, I was just a naturally good kid cause I was an oldest. I was very mm-hmm. much classic oldest child, you know, the rule follower and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you put the two of us together and you think, our kids are golden. Like we're not the, I would love, I would love payback. If my kids were as bad as I was, I am sailing off into the sunset with a great, easy life, (laughs) but no. So then when our kids are at messing around or acting up or not acting how we want, we're sitting and looking at each other like, what the crap? We didn't deserve this. (laughs) Like, what did we do? We, we, as an example, we led, we taught them, we did everything we thought we could. And they're still not, acting how we want them to act mm. but you know they have their own life and now they're doing great because now we're coming around to we're getting into our 20s where they're starting to figure it out yeah right when you hit about Knock like on 26 wood. 27 we figured it's about 25 26 yeah. we have two I, that are about there and the other ones now following suit we're like okay we yeah. see how this works we're I seeing actually, how it goes i actually wrote a letter 
to my father <laughs> apologizing when I was 26 years old. Yeah, for some see, things. 26, right it's a great about age. Everything. Well, no, I've never said that to him. And yeah. His ego's big enough as it is without. <laughs> but, yeah. But I did. I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. And, oof. Well, I've, just, I've realized. I, need, I needed to do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've, I've realized as I've gotten older, I mean, I'm now getting into the third decade of my life and I'm like, you know what? They weren't right about everything, but dang, they were sure right about a lot, lot of stuff. Things. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. for anyone who's under the age of 30, it will happen to you. You'll wake yes. up one day and, and be like, shoot, flip will, a little switch will flip. And well, you <laughs> said, you said Cooper was about 15 when he was doing certain. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the age that I thought, I know more than my parents. What oh, are you yeah. About? Oh, parents they become idiots. They don't have idiots. the life experience yeah. I have. Parents, yeah, they don't understand what it's like to live nowadays. <laughs> That's right. So right. different, which I will admit it is a lot different nowadays than it was when I was 15. It was. Yeah. And we thought it was so terrible at the time. And now I'm like, man, that was like leave it to Beaverland back yeah, then. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Back in the 90s, early 90s, late 80s. Woof. Yeah. Yeah. I'm almost 50. I'm 48. So that's just to give people's perspective. So yeah, I graduated high school in 1993. So before cell phones, before social media, before any of that stuff. Yeah. Like it's a I great said, time. you lived a normal life. I did that, live a know. normal life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, yep. I was, uh, I was on my Schwinn bike with my, <laughs> you know, fishing rod that attached was, to it. That was, heading back, down. Mm-hmm. that was back when they were affordable, right? And not $700 a bike. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, I remember as a kid, like, because I, I grew up at a time where obviously, you know, in Duluth, there was a lot of outdoors, a lot of ice mm-hmm. hockey. If you didn't play ice hockey there, you were there's something yeah. wrong with you. Um, and, like, they would literally, like, like you. separate you from the rest of society. Uh, but a lot of that. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, I grew up most of my life without the phones. And then 2011 hit and social media happened. And, and Beowulf and I have talked about this. And it's like, it seems it, like everything just just changed. as a short aside. Yes, your wife had the most expensive phone bill I've ever <laughs> seen in my whole life when we first got her. That was when texting. Oh actually yeah, cost oh money. I remember that. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> How much was it? I, I I probably have it somewhere. I couldn't tell so you now. Framed. So what we did ridiculous. was we got the next telephones, so you could oh, just yeah. do the walkie-talkie, so you didn't have the text mm-hmm. message fees. You know, Smart. genius. Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> now it's all unlimited. And everything's unlimited now. That and that and that's just our society, isn't it? Yeah. Everything's unlimited. Literally, everything's unlimited. Yeah, as long except as you happiness. Subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good point. Except happiness. Uh, now, in conversations that with, that uh, the bull and I have had with Sheriff Lamb, and from reading your books, I would say that you know we have both come to understand, and through this conversation, that you value, uh, you heavily value your faith. Now, for those listening and viewing, even if you agree with their positions or not, can we talk about what your faith means to you and how it's helped you move through life? Absolutely. And I even think if someone is, you know, doesn't believe in God or the Holy Spirit or any of that stuff, there's still a higher being, right? A higher power or whatever. But if I didn't, honestly, if I didn't have my faith, I I don't even know where I would be. I don't. And And I don't equate faith and God to church. I think it's very important that people separate those two things because churches are run by people. And not that I don't love my church. I do. I absolutely do. I support it. I, you know, sustain it. Um, I abide by it, but um, there still has to come a level to where your faith goes deeper than that. It has to go deeper than people on earth. It has to go deeper than men. Um, 
and I've just seen too much in my own personal life and things that I have felt for myself to ever deny that there's a God and that my faith and, and it doesn't matter what my church could come out and say, you know, we believe in, you know, sacrificing children. I don't know. Something just totally off the wall. It wouldn't shake my faith in God. Would I have a problem with church? Yes, obviously that yeah. would not be okay. But that just at that point, just to illustrate that mm-hmm. my faith in God is in and of itself, its own entity within me and my soul. I know that I'm a daughter of God um, created in his image. And just knowing those things, like we were kind of talking before, it helps me see other people in a different light. Because if I believe that about myself, I have to leave that about everybody. And whether whatever their circumstance are, and, and not that I don't think that there aren't evil people on this earth. I, I do believe, because if you believe in the good, you have to know that there's the bad. There's the yin and yang to everything, and it's on an equal level. So as good as people can be is also as bad as people can be. I don't think it's good to dwell on that stuff. You know, you can get into a rabbit hole of all sorts of crap. I think as a faith-based person, I don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. I just need to know what's there put that book on the shelf and I'm not interested in delving into that because that's not going to help my faith. I'd rather stay on the positive note, go forward, serve as many people as I can, help as many people as I can and worry about myself and my Your family. faith is not contained within those four walls. No. It's something you establish independent of that. That's right. I think it's a real important message actually because a lot of people kind of equate the two almost too closely. And so yeah. they get caught up in the particular nuances of doctrine and right. things like that. And, and your ability to, to take a quote unquote leap of faith is the first step in all of that. It's the first step in having a relationship at all with yeah. a, a higher being, however you believe out there. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and that's not contained within those four walls at all. Well, and I mean, just to know, like I have had prayers answered. Prayer, my prayers have been answered, not always the way I thought they should be, but my prayers have been answered. Um, I've had direct blessings that shouldn't have happened that happened to me, like different things. Like I've, I've seen so much good. I mean, one great example is just our recent tragedy. Our son and granddaughter and daughter-in-law were killed. You can't get through an experience like that without having some sort of faith like there's people who struggle they're like there's people who this would take them off their rails for the rest of their life and i totally get that i totally get that because that is the kind of pain and deep sorrow that a human person can't really even comprehend like i'm still not it's only been a couple of months it's going to be years it's going to be my whole life of grieving for them and so to, but to see the hand of God that has played out in the midst of that darkness, I mean, I thought I had a faithful attitude and belief system before. This just expanded it tenfold from what I've seen, what I've seen, how it's blessed, how a tragedy has blessed other people. Um, Honestly, it's Janelle, just unbelievable. One of the things that I would say from my point of view that you personally are blessed with, I attended the, the service. Oh, good. Is that, I, I don't remember exactly what you said, but you basically, again, very transparently said, I am 
kind of like an AI. Yeah, I, think I, is did. What you said I said this is like the AI that. version of me. The real me right. is home, and, laying in bed, but, crying. But, yeah, just I'm, I'm honestly, from an outsider standpoint, nearly impossible impossible to compartmentalize that unless you have a if unless you're blessed yeah. to be able to do that specifically for your for your own you know spirit, but also for those around you. Yeah. Really? Well, and the whole reason that I was even speaking at the funeral, so I, I did give the life story of Cooper and the baby, and I I wasn't intending on doing that, but we had gotten that message, the message that I read from my son that he had written to some clergy, a friend of ours, and um, it was so impactful and powerful to me, I knew immediately when I read it, and I read it about a week after he passed away, and um, I knew immediately that that needed to be read at his funeral. And I knew that there was nobody who could read it except me. Right. I was the only person that I trusted <clears throat> to read it and portray the message that needed to be tra- portrayed around it. And I just, and that was one of the many, many experiences that I had where I just felt like this flood, it was like a physical flood of strength over me. And I just knew without a doubt that I could do it. I mean, who knows that? Like, it's so crazy. Like that, I'm sorry, that is not just like, oh, I just want to do it. Like, no, that was purely God's spirit coming over me and saying, not only are you going to do this, you are going to do it and I'm going to help you. And we can phys- could physically feel the prayers of people. I mean, we had hundreds of messages, thousands of messages telling us we're praying for you. We could physically feel those things. And I've had other experiences um, when I was raising my little kids and I was working for my dad and I had committed to giving my sister a baby shower and I was working for my dad and it was for like, from like 3 AM to noon every day, seven days a week for just like a two month period. I was exhausted. I was driving to Buckeye from Santan Valley every day and no, not Buckeye Levine. I was driving to Levine working on this job with my dad being his like basically temporary office manager and then driving home I had five kids i had to try to get in bed by nine o'clock so i had to be back up by 2 a.m and i did this every day well the one day i had my sister's baby shower that we were probably 150 guests at someone else's house i had to throw this whole thing together and i was so tired i was just bone tired exhausted and I went into the bathroom at the job site because I had a long drive home and I was like, I was going to have to go home, pack up my car, drive it to this location, put on this huge baby shower when we were talking like food, cake, decor, the whole nine yards. And I just thought to myself, I can't do this. I do not have the physical strength to do this. I'm so exhausted. And I went into the bathroom and as I was coming out, I had this just very distinct thought came to my mind your mom and other people are praying for you that you can do this and the same kind of feeling where i just had like this flood of physical strength just knowing that and i knew it was true because i knew the people around me were also prayer prayerful people and i thought you know what i can do it and i drove home and we had that dang baby shower and it was great and we packed it all up and i went home and i got up at 2 in the morning went back to work the next day and i was and it was okay i did it i mean i almost couldn't lift my legs i was so tired to walk Boy. and yet i had that sort of physical strength so when you have those kind of experiences 
And, you know, and people can say, oh, it's, you know, la-di-da, whatever. You just wanted it. You're just trying to think it. I'm sorry, nobody wants to throw a giant <laughs> baby shower no. in the midst of that kind of a work schedule. <clears throat> yeah. Like, it just, uh, those kind of you things. And I've had probably a hundred of those over my lifetime yeah. that I could, you know, I could sit here all day. And so when you have those kind of experiences, that's what makes faith the most important. And then it's like a muscle. When you exercise it, you realize when I, now when I need strength down the road, cause I'm going to need it again, it's going to be there for me. Yeah. And I know that's true because it's been there for me in the past. And so that's where I get my strength. That's where I get my faith. It's from experiencing it. Yeah. That's good. That's awesome. Well, I know that we're a little, little pressed for time. Um, so if you want, I can ask one more question. Sure. Let's do it. I really would love to know what it's like from, raising a family outside of and then moving into the public arena. What are some of the distinguishing factors that you've experienced and what kind of sticks out to you when it comes to the differences? We are very fortunate that our kids have been very supportive from the get go to Mark's shenanigans. I don't know what you call (laughs) his ambitions or whatever. I think that they believe in their dad Mm. and they believe in me. And I think that uh, when they were younger, when we first, so when he ran for sheriff the first time, Cade was 18, Sadie was just getting ready to go to college. So Cade might've been 19, Sadie in college, and then the three boys in like middle school, high school. Um, I think that they just trusted us, basically. Like, listen, mom and dad aren't gonna do something crazy. They're gonna only do what they think is right, and so we're, we're fine with it. Um during the time that he was running for sheriff, it was a hot mess. I'm not going to lie. Like it was a hot mess. Um, I had mom guilt like crazy. They had little Caesars like three, four nights a week. Like I just wasn't there to, and I had a lot of guilt about that. I think I write about it in the book and about how I even interviewed them, interviewed them later. We're like, we've got some distance on it. Let's talk about it. You know what, how bad was this for you guys? And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. I think it was (laughs) because they're boys and they were like, what? It gave us the freedom to sit on our video games and do whatever the heck we wanted. (laughs) But I'm not saying that it was a good thing. I'm saying it was a, it was a trial for all of us. Um, Now, now that they've, kind of gotten more through it. You know, my daughter works at um, a restaurant called Santan Flats. It's a great oh, spot. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes I think she's, and, and she's a good sport about it because everyone knows who she, who's who she is. Um, oh, I know your dad. Tell your dad I said hi. You know, that sort of thing a lot. They just take it in stride. Mm. I think that they're really proud of their dad. And so that really helps because they do see the good side of it. You know, they see what he's been able to do, what we've been able to do as a family to help our community and to serve our community. And I think for them, same as us, it kind of the good outweighs the bad. Um, But they definitely had some preacher kid syndrome situation happening. Um, I think they probably had five or six interactions with deputies during Mm -hmm. the time he was trying to run. It's like, guys, what do you, you know what he's running yeah. for? Come on. And he's like, I'm literally a detective. And how do you think you're going to get away with this stuff? Like it's, and they just, you know, they're kids. They think they know. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was definitely not an easy road, but especially looking back on it, it was still the right thing to do. And as much as there was some hard things and maybe some mistakes or just, you know, mm-hmm. things I wish were different, 
it's it's for it's been for the best. It's yeah. been ultimately for the good. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, yeah, it really isn't. We're and very fortunate. Well, I'll tell you what: as as proud as as your kids are of your husband, they should be equally as proud as you because these books are phenomenal. I think they, they are. are. No, they haven't great. read my books. Well. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe you can still dictate <laughs> and require. Think, I think they think it's just like too deep of a dive. Like they don't want to know how the sausage is made kind of a thing. We like mm. to just keep mom and dad up here, yeah, you know, <laughs> because they have their own. Well, they have their own perspective on what things were like yeah. when, when I'm writing about situations. Right. It's kind of like when your kid comes to you, which I've had this experience where they go, what's the difference between income taxes and property taxes? <laughs> and you're like... Well, let me illustrate this for you. And then they're, you know, they get red pilled, you know? So I think, I feel like they think reading my books, they're going to be red pilled and they don't want to know like how things really were behind the scenes. They just want to stay in their different kind of blinders. Yeah. 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 They want to stay in their childhood. La la land. Like what? I just remember little Caesars (laughs) and video games. I don't remember any of this hard stuff. You know, my dad doesn't have any haters. Like, yeah, they just want to think, think the best. Well, as you said, haters are going to hate, right? That's right. Well, that's, that's really awesome. And you know, we really appreciate appreciate you for joining us today. Uh, we truly enjoyed speaking with you about your books. Honestly, I think they were, I, uh, books don't make me cry normally. And that one got me right in the feels. Um, <laughs> and we really appreciate your unique uh, perspective when it comes to traditional values and family. Uh, for listeners and viewers, where can they find your content and your books? And what would be the best way for them to support you? So our books can be found on Amazon, also on sheriffswife.com. Uh, everything's available there as well as americansheriff.com. Um, so we kind of just kind of cross promote on our websites and, and whatnot. My Instagram is Mrs. M I S S U S dot Janelle dot lamb. So Mrs. Janelle lamb, um, obviously American sheriff has a lot of awesome content. And so we're, we're pretty, we post a lot, you know, we, we get out there, we're on stories, we're doing all the things. So if you, if you get the fuck off, uh, uh, the non Amazon sites, I believe you can get it inscribed. That's right. right. So if you go to this, to sheriffswife.com or American sheriff and order there, we will personalize and sign the books for you. Amazon, you just get the copy, but you get it in like a day and a half. If you go on the website, it's going to be probably a week or two before you get it, but it will be autographed and you can gift it. A lot of people, right. you know, gift them to people or, yeah. or different yeah. things. So you can have them inscribed to a friend or a family member. Yeah. yeah. Which well, we definitely, love doing. Yeah, no, they were, honestly, I really enjoyed them. Yeah. You guys should take a look at them, get them. I'm going to have them right here. I'm also make sure to include the link in the description below. But yeah, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you to the Wolf and Bull family for joining us. We appreciate you guys. If you happen to like our content, you can find it on Instagram at the Wolf and Bull. You can also find our content on YouTube. Yes, I did not ask for a subscription earlier, but I'll do so now. If you like listening to content that makes you think about the culture of America and listening to some wonderful guests, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and that like button. But again, anything to add, Bull? I'm good. All right, thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Wolf and Bull podcast. Our team here at the Wolf and Bull and Damore Media are so happy you spent some time with us. If you liked this episode, please leave a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A review will help grow our show, and we'd love for you to be a part of our family. If you'd like more content from The Wolf and Bull, you can find it at our Instagram, at The Wolf and Bull, and on YouTube and Rumble via The Wolf and Bull. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.